0: Appreciate our brother leading us in prayer, starting our services today by acknowledging our God as holy, 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 and then to come to this point in our worship service to sing about a holy God, and what it will be like to be there is beyond my comprehension, but I'm looking forward to it, and I know you are as well. And as Brother Jonathan pointed out a few moments ago, every knee will bow. And it's better to figure that out on this side of eternity than on the other side. Better to bow and to submit and to do his will and to receive the great benefits that come from our God than to find out too late that I should have done that in my lifetime. And so if you are here this morning and you need some sort of change in your life, we hope that we can help. And indeed, the songs, as we have prayed, are designed in part not only to worship our God and to call him to be exalted, but also to admonish one another in service to him. I invite you to take your Bibles and open, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 20, to a well-worn passage that you are likely familiar with, and I wanted to say, as well as Shane did, thank you so much for being here and to our visitors for your presence. We are indeed very grateful, and we are thankful for the opportunity that God has granted us to come together to talk about some important things. Anytime we come together to talk about the Bible, it's important and every subject that deals with the Bible and deals with the church, which is we'll talk about in just a moment is the bride of Christ is important as well. And so we're going to continue where we began a couple of weeks ago, and if you weren't here two or three weeks ago, I began a a series of three sermons on the concept of shepherds and shepherding. And this is an important topic, as we'll talk in just a moment, for any particular church, and it is true of this church that this is an important topic. When we think about elders ruling well, and that, of course, comes from a passage that we'll look at in 1 Timothy in just a moment. But I want to start with just this overall uh, understatement of the day that when it comes to pastors in a local church, it is an important topic. And this church is richly blessed with three individuals that are serving in that particular capacity. And I use the word serving purposely both two or three weeks ago, as well as this week and then in a couple weeks when we conclude this series. And incidentally, we could have a series of maybe a dozen sermons and it still wouldn't cover everything about the subject of elders. We're going to try to curtail it down to three sermons and do our very best as we think about this particular topic. We know that in Ephesians chapter 5, that the church is the bride of Christ. And so he values it. He values us. He values you. And so when shepherds are in charge of shepherding, it is an important role because they are protecting the flock that belongs to Jesus Christ. Christ himself. And in Acts chapter 20 and in verse 28, where I've asked you to open your Bible to, the text there says that the church was actually purchased by Jesus. And rather than him writing a check or paying a sum of money or just sacrificing some time, he gave his very life where it says he purchased it with his own blood. Incidentally, This is a passage where the inspired writer, the inspired apostle, is speaking to elders about the role that they are going to serve or are serving in. And he says in verse 31 there, he says, I want you to watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Notice the two W words, watch and warn. And any elder understands the importance of watching and warning. And then in verse 31, it says, verse 30 says, "...from among yourselves men will rise up speaking these perverse or misleading things so as to draw away disciples after themselves." I would argue that, as I did a couple of weeks ago, that even a small church of a handful of individuals, and there are a number of you here that have been part of congregations where it may have only been three or four families, and when you come together and you have a crowd of twenty, you say we've got a big crowd today, and that's foreign to those of us that maybe grew up or are associated with uh, larger congregations. But the size of a congregation is not what is important; it's its adherence to the truth. But all churches should it seem to me and i think as based on these passages desire to have bishops serving them and i've used the word serve now for the second time today and for purposes of our study both 2 weeks ago 2 weeks from now and today All Christians should desire to have what I would call these pastor qualities. Now, incidentally, the word pastor is used in a broadly uh, misused way in the religious world today. In fact, there's probably not a month that goes by, if not a week that goes by, where someone will not refer to me or to David as a pastor, or they will ask who the pastor is, or they'll say, oh, so you're the pastor at the church. And that always ends up being a, a teaching opportunity and how you're going to go about uh, unwinding some of the miscues that are associated with the religious world in which we live. I would argue that when we're talking about elders ruling well, it is an important topic, particularly for us in the summer of 2023. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and as our shepherds pointed out to us earlier in 2023, we are on the cusp of Uh, adding at least an additional man or two or perhaps more if there are individuals who are qualified and desire that work. And some of you have already begun the process of engaging in those very important conversations, whether that be in the last couple of weeks or the last couple of months. And let me also suggest to you that this is not just an important topic because we're talking about adding an elder or two or three here at Northfield Boulevard uh, in the immediate future. But I actually had a conversation. With a member of this congregation just a couple of weeks ago, who is probably a good 20 to 40 years from being old enough to serve as a pastor. And I said to him, I want you to be thinking about this. If you start thinking about, quote, preparing for being an elder when you are 55 or 65 or 70 years old, it may very well be too late. Now, it's not a, a general statement that I can say it's too late, but those of you that are in your teens, those of you that are in your 20s and 30s and 40s and younger, this is something to be thinking about, and I hope that when I'm dead and gone, that, which will be at some point, that those of you that are 20 and 30 years, my junior will be serving as pastors in this church or in other congregations around the country, and that would just be a splendid thing. And a wonderful thing to see. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, we won't take the time to go and read that particular passage, but it says that shepherds are to rule, and they are to rule well. That means that a shepherd can rule not so well, right? And whereas Paul would say, lord it over them and among other things. And the scriptures provide us, it seems to me, with a blueprint or a list of things that are of necessity for elders to rule well. The inspired writer here, Paul, and the Holy Spirit doesn't say, rule well, now good luck doing that but rather gives elders the tools and gives us as sheep the tools to make sure that we can all help each other in that process. And it seems to me that there are four properly think, proper things that need to happen. One is elders need to be properly qualified. And that's where we spent most of our time. In fact, 90% of our time two weeks ago. And if you didn't have the opportunity to be here, I'd encourage you to go to our website and check out sermon number one in this series of three. There'll be a little bit of overlap, and we'll revisit a couple of those topics again as we did a couple of weeks ago. But we will spend most of our time talking about the second, third, and fourth components, and that is they need to be properly prepared, understand what they're preparing for, they need to be properly motivated. Because we don't want them motivated by something that is inappropriate. And as a thing of thinking about ourselves, they need to be properly respected and supported when we'll spend a few moments talking about that at the conclusion of our study together this morning. So I wanna deal with this second component, and that is the idea of being properly prepared. Let me start by this, and I can't find a particular passage that uses on-the-job training language, but I use that because we're familiar with on-the-job training. There are certain professions or avocations where a person can get on-the-job training. We'll go ahead and hire you, we'll put you on the payroll, and you may not have all the different prerequisites associated with this particular job, but you can learn it over the next three to six months. That is not what the eldership is about. Now we are not looking for perfect individuals because if we're looking for that, we're going to have three men who are going to gladly resign and say, I'm not perfect. And nobody else is going to be willing to say I'm, I I can serve because I'm not perfect. More about that in the third sermon uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and in verse 6, a passage that we spent a lot of time looking at just a couple of weeks ago, it says, the Holy Spirit speaking, not a novice, a new convert, not someone that is new to the faith, not someone who is a babe in Christ. Otherwise, he could be puffed up with pride. And fall into the same condemnation of the devil. One must understand that there are roles associated with being an elder. And I am convinced that you are largely familiar with that broader context of Acts chapter 20, where it talks about the need to rule well, to warn, and to watch. And notice that Paul, who is not an elder, although I had someone, of a religious denomination, do his very best to convince me that Paul was an elder. And you probably know what vein he was in and what he was, where he was going with that. And, uh, but he is saying, I warned you with tears because I know of the job that you as Christians are going to do and you as, as shepherds are going to do as well. And so there are different words that are used, and you notice I keep changing my words back and forth, and I'm doing that purposely. Sometimes we use the word elder. Uh, In fact, in our bulletin, it'll say elder. I I may change it sometime just to see if anybody's paying attention. Uh, But it's the idea of someone who is older, someone who is senior, someone who is wiser. Now, older is not elderly. I found that out a few weeks ago. Uh, There may be some older people here, but there are no elderly people at Northfield Boulevard. They're just older and wiser. And we use the term elder sometimes to talk about someone who is older or wiser. And so there are lots of elders of mine here in the sense that many of you are older than me uh, and most of you, if not all of you, are wiser than me. Uh, But the fact is, is we use that term to refer to the three men who serve in the capacity as older senior wiser individuals. Sometimes we use the word overseer, someone who is a superintendent. I'm not really wild about that word, but that's the way that it is translated into English sometimes. Someone who is in charge. And again, I'm not real wild about that either, but there are decisions that have to be made, and we are fortunate to have elders who make that decision. And for those of you, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, who have ever been in a men's business meeting, you say, I'm sure glad they get to make those decisions and not me anymore, because that was not a pleasant experience. Uh, not that that can't be a, an okay way to govern a church, but it's not the uh, optimum way to do so. The word that we've used repeatedly is the word shepherd, and that is to feed or to tend. And uh, I we had just a, a wonderful summer Bible series, which included adult components, and we talked about shepherding and what it means to be a shepherd over the course of one of our parables, and that was certainly a a, a worthwhile use of our time. I want to look at a fourth thing that we don't sometimes think about as much, and I want to actually open to the book of Ezekiel chapter 33, and there's so much in the book of Ezekiel 33 and 34. Uh, and it's it's a fascinating study, but I love reading Ezekiel 33, and what I want to do is I want to pretend, if I can take just a little bit of leniency with the text and pretend that rather than just talking to the leaders of Israel or the particular spokesman of Israel, what if Ezekiel, by way of the Holy Spirit, would sit down and talk with John and Phil and Gerald and whoever else may at some point serve in this congregation. It seems to me that Ezekiel, the Holy Spirit, would say to these three men and would say to any other man, here are some strong things to consider. So I want to read verse 7 through 11. And he says, so you, Mr. Shepherd, uh, he doesn't say that, he says son of man, but he says, so you, Mr. Shepherd, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn the sheep or warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, and his, or but his blood I will require at your hand. Now, if if that's not enough to put some healthy fear into any young man or older man's mind about possibly serving as a shepherd, I don't know what can make you fearful. That's that's a frightening thing to consider, that our three shepherds have the responsibility of watching over our souls, and if they see us in sin and do not correct us or do their very best to try to encourage us to make appropriate changes, They will answer for that. Nevertheless, verse 9 if you, Mr. Shepherd, warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Therefore, you, Mr. Shepherd, say to the house of Israel, thus you say, if your transgressions and your sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why would you die, O house of Israel? Why would you die, member of this congregation? Why would you die, Christian in general? I care about you. And that certainly is what a shepherd is doing. Elders must be properly prepared. One must specifically be able to teach. Now, there's been some debate about this over my some 40 years of life, and I've heard some debate about this, and that is, well, does that mean that an elder must be able to preach a polished lesson? I don't think that's what that text is mean. Does that mean that the elder must be able to speak publicly and to do so well? That's not what the text says as well. I have known elders that have had some healthy trepidation about standing in front of a 100 and some people, but yet they do so on occasion. And I would think I can speak for David and for myself. There are times where we have a little bit of fear, uh, stage fright, but we, we try to get over it very quickly and experience helps with that as well. But there's always a little bit of angst about standing before a group of people, whether it be 10 people or whether it be 170 people. But an elder must be able to teach, whether that be from a pulpit like this or sitting at his dining room table or in his recliner with another man and woman as they continue to work on working through God's word together or over the phone or over Zoom or through email, whatever the case may be. This, as we pointed out a couple of weeks ago, is a distinguishing characteristic of deacon's qualities. Uh, The word that is used in some versions is that elders must be apt to teach, which is not just the willingness and the ability, I'm sorry, not just the willingness and not just the ability, but the willingness and the ability to do so. What would be rotten would be an elder who is able to teach, but says, I'm not willing to do so. Well, He would not be qualified to be serving as a pastor, and he certainly wouldn't be the example for us as well. And one must have a spiritual and supportive family. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 to the text where we spent so much time just a couple of weeks ago, and it says, likewise, their wives, and I understand here the the immediate context is deacons, but when he says likewise, it, it seems to be a continuation of the thought that was developed in verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives must be reverent, not slanderous, temperate, and faithful in all things. And let me go back to the text that our brother Roger read, us from, read from, and we won't reread those verses. There's, there's probably not a single time that I've ever, at least in the last dozen years, studied with someone who's thinking about becoming a Christian, and those of you that are relatively new can attest to this, where I haven't gone to Luke 14. And he just said, read this on your own, read it with, with Wendy and me, read it with just me, whatever the case may be. Because a Christian needs to understand there's a cost associated with his or her uh, obedience to Christ. And and Jesus uses very strong language here in Luke chapter 14, where he says, you cannot be my disciple if you are not willing to forsake everything. If you go back to Luke chapter 14, if you want to write this out in the margins of your Bible, Feel free to do so, but the word "disciple" is used in the in the in the reading that Roger read for us three times. The word "disciple" is used, and it's the same phrase over and over again. He cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. It says it three different times in the course of those eleven verses or so. So, if I can broadly paraphrase again, if a man is not willing to forsake all that he has. He cannot be a shepherd. If a man is not willing to first count the cost, he cannot be a shepherd. That's not exactly what Luke 14 is saying, but you understand the point, hopefully, that I'm attempting to make. Elders need to be properly prepared as much as possible, understand what they're getting into. That being said, I don't know that there's any preparation based on the conversations that I've had with shepherds over the last 40 some years that can properly prepare you totally. Where after a year or two or three of service, you say, I didn't see that coming. That's It's harder than what I thought. Or the challenges are different than what I anticipated. And the nights are longer and the prayers are more diligent because of the concern that I have for these sheep. Let me suggest to you thirdly, in our list of things, qualified, prepared. Thirdly, elders must be properly motivated. They must be motivated by the right things in order to rule well. Let me just share with you four quick things that they must be motivated by. One is motivated by desire. We're not gonna take the time to revisit that point that I made a a week or two ago. But if all the other qualifications, he's reverent, he's blameless, he's obedient, he's an example. He's got a good reputation. Uh, He is all those different things. And he says, I'm just not interested. We want to maybe provide some gentle persuasion. And maybe a year or two or three years later, he will reconsider. But ultimately, I think we all agree. And I saw some heads nodding two weeks ago. We don't want someone forced into the eldership. We don't want someone there six months later saying, I didn't want this job in the first place. I didn't want to serve in this capacity. That person is not the best suited for serving as a shepherd. After all, the shepherd, John chapter 10 and John chapter 16 and other passages, will lay down his life for the sheep. Secondly, motivated by service. Not what is best for me, not what do I want, but what is the truth and what is best for the church. Elders are fancy servants. There, I said it. Now, they may not be fancy, but that's what they are. They are servants. And they are servants who are willing to go above and beyond and to sacrifice. Say, well, I thought that was supposed to be all of us. Good, I'm glad you got my point. That's where I was going. This is a lesson for all of us, as much as it is for the handful of men that either in the next year or two or 20 or 30 may consider serving in this capacity. Thirdly, They are motivated by love. We didn't spend a lot of time looking at Titus chapter 1. It's a parallel text, it seems to me, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. But in Titus chapter 1, it says an elder, a bishop, has to be a number of things, including a lover of what is good. And so the question should be, who should the shepherd love? Who should the bishop love? And it's an easy question, but yet it's a complex question, right? Because some people, let's, let's just, let's call it for what it is. Some people in the world are very lovable. I mean, some of us are just that way. And then some people, glad I got a couple chuckles there. And then some of us are tough to love sometimes. They require a lot of patience. They require extra work. They require more time. And the elder can't say, I love the 99, but that one that went away, whoo, he's off my radar now. That's not what the shepherd did in Luke chapter 15. That's not what our savior does. That is certainly not the way that our savior treats us in the way that we act towards him. And then fourthly, an elder to be properly motivated is motivated by truth, first and foremost by truth. And in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about the idea of there being one body, one Lord, one faith. That unity in the doctrine is exactly what we need. We would not want a divided eldership where you have two believing one thing and two believing something different. I'm not talking about areas of opinion or disagreement where there can be some healthy discussion and where a difficult decision may have to be made, but I'm talking about matters of right and wrong. These are things that must be first and foremost as prerequisites. Let me suggest to you uh, two or three things real quickly that they cannot be, as we talked about last week. They cannot be self-willed. That's one of the reasons it seems to me that the Holy Spirit provided us with the wisdom that there's more than one elder. Because if there's one person in charge, and you see this in churches today that are very pastor-centric, where it's one man and it's a one-man show, everything is his way or the highway, and that can't be in the Lord's church, which is why you have two or three or four men or more that are in that leadership capacity. They cannot be greedy, we talked about that. In First Timothy chapter three and verse three, or First Peter chapter three and verse two, uh, ultimately we have a treasurer uh, who may physically write the checks, but he is directed by the leadership, by the shepherds, as to who those checks are written to, and where those direct deposits are made, and what bills are to be paid, and who is to be assisted. And it would be easy especially in circumstances void of banking uh, philosophies that we have today to make it so that an elder could take advantage of that, which is why he cannot be covetous. After all, Colossians chapter three says covetousness is the same thing as idolatry. And the last thing I'll say about being motivated, which goes back to kind of a capstone of everything we talked about last week or the week, two weeks ago, is the idea he's got to be just He's got to be fair. Titus chapter 1, verse 8, he's got to be just, holy, and self controlled. I have known elders who have been in really difficult situations here or elsewhere where there have been differences of opinions, and brethren are ready to uh, maybe not fist fight each other, but they certainly are not very happy with each other. And these are Christians. Brothers and sisters who cannot get along over some particular difference or issue and the elders have to sit down, there's going to have to be a just and fair decision and it may be that one party isn't fully satisfied with that particular choice, especially if they don't have the spirit of unity and wanting to get along that needs to be present. That brings me to our fourth and our final observation and that is for us. When we think about our three shepherds, when we think about any future shepherd or shepherds, they must be properly supported. It is our responsibility to properly respect them. Elders are in a position of authority, and some people don't like authority. Now, I think I'm speaking to a group of people who appreciate authority. We're, we're Christians. Uh, we believe in Christ as our ultimate authority. Uh, we submit ourselves to the government for the sake of the fact that God ordained it, Romans chapter 13, for our good, but also for our fear. We understand that uh, we respect law enforcement and, and and we do what is right and we try to set the good, good example. But there are people in the world, this may come as a shock to you, it's not. There are people in the world that do not like authority and do not like being told what to do. And that's true of those who are very young and we see that sometimes at a restaurant where you're like, what is wrong with that kid? Well, he should know better by now. We see that in adults. Adults on TV who make horrendous decisions with their lives and get themselves in trouble with local law enforcement. They never learned authority, it seems to me. And I appreciate our parents working so hard to make sure that they instill that kind of respect in their children, and it's it's hard. It's got to be hard, especially as we grow in a culture that seems to respect authority all the less. But we as Christians have got to be incredibly careful to not sin in this particular way. Because let me suggest to you a statement that may be the most important, most thought provoking at least for me, and that is respect is not necessarily the same thing as agreement. We have 170 sheep, give or take. Let's call it 150 sheep. And we have three shepherds who are working to guide 150. Do you think you can make 150 agree on every particular non-doctrinal issue? We can agree on doctrinal issues. But there's a four-letter word that starts with M and ends with a K (laughs) that has an A and an S in the middle. I'm not going to say the word because it brings back haunting memories that leads to division in churches. And over the last three years, we didn't all agree on how things were handled. And when it comes to times of services, when it comes to carpet color, when it comes to changing uh, the class setup, when it comes to changing uh, maybe who uh, uh, a new preacher, we may not all agree on those particular things. But we say, you know what? This is they they have deemed that this is best, and I'm going to be respectful of that. The same is true with our political authorities. We respect, I think, our leaders, but we certainly do not always agree with them, maybe because of their party or because of their beliefs and because of their persuasions, and we need to disagree with them when they are disagreeable and when they are not doing what is right but we also need to be healthy and respect. And the scriptures point out three things that are required of us in terms of our interaction with pastors. Let me suggest to you three things here before we come to our final slide and wrap up. One, we are to be submissive. Turn over, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 13. You knew we were gonna get to this passage at some point, but Hebrews chapter 13, remember, verse seven, those who rule over you. Which, by the way, uh, the word there is lead, I think, in the New American Stand. I think that uses the word lead. Uh, ruling is, is a tough word, and we, we, we kind of struggle with that. I don't, we're Americans. Rule ourselves. But elders are to rule, and they are to rule well. We are to remember those who the New King James says rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. I say all that because this includes obedience and we are not trying to give them grief. After all, that would not be a good thing, the Holy Spirit would tell us. The best thing that we can do, and I I can't speak for our shepherds, but yet I think I can say that they would agree with me is support them encourage them, hold up their hands, hold their hands and love them. Now, that being said, I, I know our shepherds as a sheep well enough to say that if I had a, a disagreement on something that was a non-doctrinal matter, I'm confident I could go to them and have a healthy discussion and say, would you like to consider this as an option? And they would say, yeah, we'll consider that. Take that into consideration. We may not, we may not agree with you, We may not go down that route with you, but we've heard you. And they have those listening ears. And I can think of dozens of situations just in the last 24 to 36 months where the elders have said, yeah, we're willing to think about that. Let's give that a try. Or maybe not. And that's okay as well. Let me suggest to you that secondly, members, sheep, are to be cautious in our words. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. Generally, when we think about elders in 1 Timothy, we think about chapter 3. But chapter 5 has a great deal to say about the way that we uh, govern ourselves and conduct ourselves. He says, let the elders who rule, that's again the New King James uses the word rule three or four different times, Well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain and the laborer is worthy of its wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Now, I would argue that this is certainly a parameter or a guideline or guiding principle for virtually every Christian relationship, but it is especially being highlighted here in the sense that a charge against an elder is highlighted, meaning that we need to be extra cautious and extra careful in the things that we would say about them. Behind their back, I appreciate Brother Jason talking about uh, some of the difficult concepts that Paul was talking about in in the final chapters of 2 Corinthians, including gossip and the danger that it poses. At least no one in the history of mankind in a church has never gossiped about their elders. Okay, It's happened. And it's torn them down and discouraged them. And at some point in my 40 years, I'm sure it's happened 40-some years, and I'm sure that it'll happen in the future, but let it stop with us. I'm not suggesting that it started with us. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I don't have any agenda on this. I have an agenda overall, but not there. Just a point. Just be careful. And number three, members are to be supportive and are to be helpful. Turn back just a couple of pages in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12. It says, we urge you, brethren. So, urging is a strong word. Talking to Christians, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So, honor those. Revere those. Respect those. Recognize. Those who admonish, including sometimes saying things that are difficult to hear, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and do be at peace among yourselves. We, the best thing that we can do for our shepherds, both now and in the future, is to be supportive and to be helpful. And I know that this congregation does a good job of it because I've heard many of you express it just in passing. But from time to time, whether it be in person, whether it be on the phone, whether it be in text or email or however you communicate best, just say thanks. Thanks for your sacrifices. They're not asking, by the way, they didn't ask for this. They didn't say, "You do this, we'll we'll give you a bonus. No, they need that thanks. They need that appreciation. That's true of all of us, though. Your Bible class teachers And as Shane pointed out, those that teach, whether it be in the summer series or regular uh, classes, thank you for the work that you do to our deacons who work tirelessly. Uh, I was studying with someone just a few weeks ago, and and I, I think I know, I've been here long enough, I think I know who the paper towel person is, but I'm thankful for the paper towel person. You ever think about that? Thankful to the person that changes the filters in the air. I don't know who does that, someone does it. Uh, Someone cleans the restrooms every month. I sometimes generally know who it is, but usually we just kind of take that for granted. Uh, Someone swept the floors and and, uh, Lee, thank you for paying the bills on time. So we have lights today and air conditioning today. All these little things happening behind the scenes. That's good. So thank you. But you thank others as well. Let's go back to where we began and now where we close. This is an important topic because this is the bride of Christ. We, as this uh, individual congregation and collectively as Christians, it is purchased by the blood of Jesus. Our elders, both both present tense and in the future, are in charge of watching out for the local church. And we desire to have good bishops We're thankful for the ones that we have, and we look forward to perhaps more if the Lord wills. And all of us should have these qualities. See, that's where you started. Yep, that's where I'm ending, too. Because I think that's a good bookend to what we've talked about. And what we'll talk about in a couple weeks, Lord willing, about the idea of elders ruling well, and we talk about some more practical matters at the conclusion of our study. We've talked about elders ruling well, But we want all of us to do well, or as those of us that maybe not be as educated as others would say, want you to do good, right? Are you well? Are you well spiritually? And that's where we began this morning, by addressing that we will all stand before our God on the day of judgment, and we look forward to hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. If you are concerned about that day, well, it's probably a good thing. I think it's good to have some healthy concern. But if you're overly concerned because you're not prepared, we would ask you to make the change that is necessary today to become a child of God, to be baptized, have your sins washed away, and you can become a new creature in service to him. What a blessing that will be to you. What a blessing that will be to us, to your family, to your friends to your community, and to the host of heavens who will rejoice at your obedience. If you need to make some sort of change in your life, we welcome the opportunity to help you in that. If we can assist in any way spiritually, let us know while together we stand and while we sing.